It's a privilege to be with you again this evening. And tonight we continue in our study of the Song of Ascents. This evening, Psalm 123. Hear the word of the living God. A song of ascents. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt Our souls has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we come to you, and we have just been instructed as we have read and sung to turn our eyes to you. And so, Lord, to to you we do look. We ask that you would give us your grace and your mercy Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit and bless us in your beloved, in whose name we pray. Amen. Psalm 120 and through 134 are often referred to as pilgrim psalms. They are pilgrim psalms because they all are entitled the Songs of Ascent. More than likely, a reference to Israel's experience as they made their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the annual feast. And as you read these psalms, there's certainly a, a physical dimension to them. There is movement from one place, which they started to their destination, Jerusalem. And then it speaks of how they or or what they're doing in the great city of Jerusalem as they view all the glories of the city. But there's also a spiritual dimension to that, to these psalms. You might look at it as someone's spiritual journey that was compiled to help other believers on their spiritual pilgrimage. Now last time, the pilgrim, along with many from all the tribes of Israel, they had come to Jerusalem. They had arrived, and they were touring the beloved city of David, a city that offered them security and protection. And this evening, we come to Psalm 123, and it's a prayer. It's a prayer that cries out for the Lord to have mercy upon his people. And I hope as we study this part of the pilgrim's journey, we might better understand our own need for mercy and and what we need and where we must look in our time of need. And so my prayer is that you will be looking up, looking with eyes up to him, who is enthroned above the heavens. First, we're going to look at the pilgrim's spiritual need. Now, one of the interesting things, I wonder if you caught this as we first sung it and then read it. One of the interesting things about the psalm is that the problem is stated at the end. 
you want to appreciate the predicament that the psalmist, psalmist is in until you look at the end of the psalm. So that's how we're going to look at this psalm from the, from the end for or backwards. Verse 3 and verse 4. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, Yahweh. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Now twice we are told that the pilgrim here has had more than enough of the contempt, the contempt of the world, more than enough scorn. That is, the psalmist has been ridiculed. He's had, he has been ridiculed, he's been disdained by those around him, and the pilgrim is lamenting his situation, that there has been enemies that have derided him, disdained him. They are arrogant, they're insolent, and they are at ease. They're comfortable in what they're doing. They're living in the world as if it is not vanity of vanities. And the language used here is general. It doesn't specify, doesn't identify the social or the historical circumstances in which the pilgrim lived. But the scriptures often speak of God's people enduring such a reproach. Psalm 137 speaks of Israel in captivity and being taunted by their enemies. Sing us one of the songs of Zion, they say, even as they are in or by the waters of Babylon. Perhaps in your recent study of Nehemiah, you remember the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem and how the leaders of the surrounding peoples, they began to oppose it. And particularly the two enemies of Israel, Sembalat and Tobiah, and how they ridiculed Israel and scorned them. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? What they are building, even if a fox would climb upon it, he would break down their walls of stone. Now we hear the same taunts, don't we, of the wicked to our Lord. As he is upon the cross, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. Now it's very interesting that the pilgrim is in Jerusalem now. We might have thought, because he's in Jerusalem, the holy city, with the people of God, things would be getting better for him, rather than worse. He's taken a holiday, a Christian holiday, a holy holiday. Everything should be getting better, we might think. It was in God's providence that led him and all of Israel to Jerusalem. He's around the people of God. He's not in his normal environment, back home in his own community. No, he is spending time with fellow, 
fellow pilgrims and enjoying the fellowship that that offers. But all of a sudden, the contrast from where he was, where he now is, is apparent to him. It becomes so stark. Whatever was the scorn and the ridicule of the wicked was a challenge to his faith in God. And he had just realized it now. Suddenly, as it were, without really noticing it, it was eating him up. It was weakening his trust in God. All the taunts of the enemy was breaking down the foundations of his faith. But the great thing is that now at last he realizes his spiritual condition and that he needs help. It's an amazing thing. He finally, like Asaph in Psalm 37, it was not until he came to the house of the Lord that he understood these things, that they actually made sense to him. And there might be different things in your life, different burden in your case than the case that the pilgrim had here in Psalm 123. And perhaps that's why the psalmist doesn't give us specifics. The contempt of the ungodly always happens, sometimes subtly and sometimes quite forcefully. But being a believer in a fallen world, in a hostile world, is never easy. Not then, not now. And it never will be. Remember how the Apostle John tells us that the roaring lion is alive. And he's a dragon now. And he seeks to devour. Because he knows his time is short. And sometimes though it's just overwhelming as you look at the situation around you. That could be your workplace. Could be your place of study, the universities, could be your community, could even be your extended family, and very obviously our nation and our culture. Perhaps you too can join with the company here, verse 3 and 4. We have had more than enough of contempt. Now there are all sorts of ways that people respond to contempt. You can grow resentful, you can be cynical, you can be filled with self-pity, you can be angry, you can be irritable, you can be depressed. All sorts of ways that people respond. So what do you do when, when you're at your wit's end? What do you do when you find yourself in a place like this pilgrim? Well, we see this pilgrim asking for help. Help he so desperately needs. Now, here's the most fascinating thing. He is lamenting about what is happening in society. The proud, the arrogant people who have been at ease, they are ridiculing him. And the problem is out there, perhaps, it is in his workplace or in his community, in his neighborhood. And so, what might you expect? Well, you might expect that 
the pilgrim would be praying about the society around him. You might hear him naming names and calling God's judgment down upon his enemies. But you see, none of that. Because as God the Holy Spirit works in this pilgrim's life and in our life, something different happens. There's a different response. There's a different prayer. This pilgrim, he's beginning to realize that not only society needs help, but he himself needs help. And so, it's rather astonishing as you, as you read this, he's not asking God to remove his enemies. He's not asking God to take him out of that context. He's not asking God to relieve him even from his trouble, to remove him out of the situation. No, what does he ask? This is his prayer, that God show him mercy. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. Verse 3. It is his own need that he begins to pray about. He's wanting mercy. Now, what does the Bible mean when it speaks about mercy? What would the Old Testament saint think about when he thought about mercy? To the Old Testament saint, it only meant one thing, the mercy seat. The mercy seat. He instinctively would think of the mercy seat, that covering over the ark of the covenant in the Holy of Holies in which the holy or which the high priest once a year would sprinkle blood upon as a sacrifice. Blood on that great day of atonement and pray for the, or the sins of the people. And whenever the people of God would cry for mercy, they were thinking about that place and about their God, a God who has mercy and they would be saying, oh God, receive the sacrifice. The sacrifice that you have requested, that blood sacrifice. Accept that sacrifice and forgive us for all our sins. And what's the New Testament picture of mercy? Well, remember how Jesus gives us that parable in Luke chapter 10 about the man who's going to Jericho from, rather, Jericho to Jerusalem. And he fell among the thieves, and he was beaten severely. And a priest and a Levite passed him, ignored him. But a Samaritan of all people came to his rescue. And then at the end of that parable, Jesus asked a question. Who proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Do you remember what the answer is? The one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. Now what does mercy mean here? Well obviously the Samaritan didn't forgive the man of his sins. 
or the Levite or the priest. No, this man had compassion upon this one in need and brought him solace and care and comfort and wholeness, and he provided for his needs. And that is what this pilgrim in Psalm 123 is asking for. These are the great two needs for this man. Pardon for sin and provisions for living the life of faith. Isn't it true, so often true, that our prayers, our prayers which ask the Lord to get me out of this situation. Lord, do something to change my situation. Do something so that I might not be here. I want relief from all my troubles. Lord, destroy the persecutors. Where do you read that in the Bible? Not often. Restore or destroy the Romans who are in charge of our country. Submit to them. You see, there's no doubt that this pilgrim would very much like a society that's far different than one he's in. But what we see is when this pilgrim pleads for mercy, he sees that however sick his society is, and all those who are filled with scorn and contempt who are deriding him. His deepest need is for the sickness of his own sin to be dealt with. And so he prays for the Lord's mercy, pardon, provision. He understands that to live in a society, no matter how depraved, how immoral and scornful it can be, Chiefly, he, as the pilgrim on his way to glory, he needs mercy. It's the great, great prayer of the pilgrim. And so he prays, Lord, have mercy upon me. It's not so much, Lord, do something to them, but Lord, have mercy on me. And this is what Jehovah Jireh has so marvelously provided for us in his son. He is the one who is provided fully for us in his son, our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. And he provides forgiveness through Calvary. He comes to us in the power of the Holy Spirit and takes our lives and all the brokenness of our lives. And he makes it new. He makes us new creatures. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit you see in the lives of God's people. He is working with us. And he's breaking us first so that he can remake us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes an awful lot of work. And a lot of time. And that's the Spirit's blessed work in the hearts of his people as he fills us with his grace. That's the healing balm that this psalmist desires, cries out for, because he knows his need, his spiritual need. And so the pilgrim knows his need. He cries out to the only one who can help him. But there's a third thing that the 
pilgrim does. He looks up. Psalm 123, 1 and 2. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Now you realize that it's not a given to hear what the psalmist is telling us to do, to look up. It's not a given. We heard that from Ecclesiastes. There are a number of people who understand that they have a problem, that they have a need, and that they ha need help. But they look no further than the horizon. They don't look in the right places for help, do they? And so they never find a solution. They're always looking below, and there is no solution here below. As long and as hard and as difficult as it might be, there is no help. They look for help in drugs or other substances, meditation, counterfeit gods. But nothing, nothing in all the created world can help them. But this pilgrim is teaching us to look up. Do you notice four times he uses the eye, a word eyes. And as you go through the Psalms of Ascent, it's quite beautiful. In Psalm 121, the psalmist's eyes, he's lifting his eyes to the hills, to beyond the hills, to the one who is enthroned in the heavens. And you know how that looks like. The Apostle John tells us in Revelation chapter 4, where we have the view of, of John being taken by his hand, by our Lord Jesus, and he sees the open door. And what does he see? A throne. He sees a throne. And he sees someone sitting on that throne. And from that throne, John tells us, comes flashing and rumblings and peals of thunder. And all there is is worship around the throne of the Lamb of God. And the one who is worthy to receive power receives it. And wealth and might and honor and glory and blessing. The Holy One, the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. He's on the throne of heaven. And my friends, this is the very significant thing. As the pilgrim considers his situation, how his contemporaries scoff him, they mock him, they deride him, they challenge his faith, and they act as if there's no God. And on top of it, they're at ease. They think this is what life's all about. He looks up with eyes of faith, and he's beholding the Lord of glory, the one sitting upon the throne. Do you see? And this is so vital in our day and every day. This is the glorious truth about living life in a fallen world. In every circumstance, 
whether weakened by oppression or sensing the pressure of the culture upon us and upon our church and upon our families or finding oneself being discouraged in life with what we see. What do we do? We look up. We look up. We see God who is enthroned in the heavens. And you see how, how the psalmist in the Old Covenant, he looks in the same place that we are encouraged to look to the heavens. And to help us then, this pilgrim gives us, pilgrim gives us an analogy. He tells us that the people of God look to a kind master. As humble servants look to their master and a mistress. He tells us, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God. One thing I enjoy doing when I go to a concert is looking at the movements of a conductor. And watching the eyes of the choir and the orchestra as they take their cue from the conductor. They're waiting for his direction, his movements. And this is what the psalmist is waiting for. But there's something else much more intimate. In those days, the, the master and his servant were often part of the same family. They were like extended family. And so embedded in this notion of a servant is the responsibility of the master to and for his servant. You know how it was in the family of Abraham. The whole household was made up of the biological family and all other servants. And so he is saying just as a servant can depend on or servants can depend upon their master, so pilgrims can expect and pray for the Lord God to show us mercy, our covenant Lord to show us his mercy. There is this expectation, and there's also this sure confidence. And that's what the pilgrim is expressing for us tonight in our text. And why does he have such confidence? Why does he have such expectation that what he prays for, he will receive? Well, because he knows the merciful character of his God. He knows the covenant God and his gracious, loving disposition to his people. God had declared his name to Moses, saying, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. A God who delights in mercy. And thus the pilgrim can be sure he's waiting, but with great anticipation that Yahweh, his God, will have mercy upon him. And notice not, now that it's not only the pilgrim who penned this journal entry, but it's all those in Jerusalem who are looking 
up in verse 2. Notice that as he prays. Now look, he says, Sore eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Plural, the people of God. The goal of the pilgrim, you see, is not just Jerusalem. It's not just the security of Jerusalem, as important as the city was, or even the temple in Jerusalem, as important as that was. No, the psalmist understands that it's God himself who is seated upon the throne. And thus he comes to Jerusalem because he knows that is the place where God promised to meet with his people the one enthroned. It is this king and our king to whom we look. Remember how the writer of Hebrews tells us, because in Hebrews 4, he says, because our Savior is enthroned. He says, let us hold fast our confession. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Too often we are looking below at our troubles. And we keep thinking through our problems. We rehearse the taunts of the enemy in our minds. We regurgitate them. But the psalmist is encouraging us tonight, don't do that. Don't let the taunts of the wicked get into your head and then into your heart. No, he says, rather focus your attention on the Lord, your covenant God. Rivet your eyes upon him in humble expectation. And you get the gist here. That's not just a one-time deal for this pilgrim. He says in verse 2, So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. You get the impression that the psalmist is from praying this prayer for some time. It's certainly not his first time. He's been there before. This is his constant prayer. Because this is the prayer of a pilgrim. But he's confident that God will hear him. That God will grant him his plea for mercy. And this is the same God who will hear your prayer, your plea for mercy. The Apostle Paul encourages the saints in this very way. Why? Because he knew the gracious character of his God in Christ Jesus. And so he can call out, he writes these most precious words in chapter 2 of Ephesians. He says, but God being rich in mercy. Now you'll look through all scripture, you won't find an attribute that speaks of God being rich in anything else but his mercy, his love to us. And Paul says, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we're dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you are saved. 
He has raised you up, the Apostle Paul says, so and seated you with him in the heavenly places so that the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The pilgrim knew the tender mercies of God. The Apostle Paul knew the tender mercies of God, that God, our loving Father, is so rich in mercy towards us. And so he's encouraging us tonight. This is how we live in, as pilgrims in a fallen world. The child of God looks up till God shows mercy. And when he does remember that, it comes at the expense of the contempt and the shame that Jesus bore for us. Your Heavenly Father is so gracious to answer your plea when you cry for mercy because he gave his Son what you deserved. You deserve to hear when you cried out for mercy. And he gave you what the son, his own beloved son, deserved to hear when he cried out for mercy on the cross. But he didn't hear. And it's because of his beloved son that he is more ready to bestow mercy upon you than actually you are willing or even do ask. That's how merciful, that's how rich in mercy your God is. And so fellow pilgrims, look up. Look up on your way, on your journey to the celestial city. Your God, who is rich in mercy, will hear you. Because at his right hand is our Savior seated upon the throne, our high priest, our mercy seat, the great Lamb of God, whom he always hears. Look up to the throne. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this journal entry that you give us in your word. We're all engaged in this spiritual pilgrimage. And we pray that you would discover to us our spiritual needs and give us grace to cry out with confidence and expectation, looking to you for mercy. Heavenly Father, we pray this evening for those in our midst who are in great need because of the circumstances in their family or employment or in the world. We pray that as they look at the world, they might turn from the things below and look to you as servants to the hand of a gracious, merciful master. Others of us are burdened by sin, that we may look to you and find that you are more than willing to have mercy upon us. And so we do look up. We look to you. We are already looking to you and we look forward, O oh God, in the grace and the face of our dear Savior Jesus Christ. Draw us to yourself. 
Give us visions of your glory. And may we see by faith him who is seated up on the throne of heaven until all his enemies are made his footstool. And so we look to Christ, to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the majesty and the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever.